Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. I'm Claire McKenna. You're listening to Changemakers, the podcast series that talks to people at the forefront of change. You should never underestimate the power of a conversation to shape our opinions, influence the conversations we go on to have, the information we seek and share, and this is all part of the change process. My guest today is Jack Kavna. I met Jack when he was on a panel I hosted talking about resilience, and he's so eloquent, articulate and charismatic. We have kept in touch since, and I'm so delighted that he agreed to come on today. Jack had massive change foisted upon him when, at 20 years of age, on a holiday with his friends, a tragic accident involving him diving into the sea and hitting a bank led to a spinal injury and lifelong paralysis. Jack has been on a long road to get to where he is now, returning to his pharmaceutical studies, working as a healthcare professional and becoming what he calls an accidental activist, speaking out about life with diverse abilities through his TED talk, his documentary Breaking Boundaries and his podcast Only Human. Today, we move the conversation on from his accident, injury and resilience and discuss taking on massive change, why he decided to go public with his journey and how he made the decision to always speak first, letting people know what he needs, taking ownership of uncomfortable situations, normalising to dispel fear people may have. Jack is so much more than someone living life on two wheels. It doesn't define him, but it is a huge part of who he is, who he has become, and has given invaluable insight into life lessons for everyone. He is the most captivating speaker and a beautiful soul, and I consider myself fortunate to know him. I hope you enjoy this conversation. So Jack Kavna, you're very welcome to Changemakers. Thank you very much, Claire. I'm delighted to be here. Jack, you've become a bit of a an activist around diverse abilities. Um, did you become um, an accidental activist, would you say? Yeah, it's funny. I, I probably don't even consider myself an activist, but certainly someone that is sharing from lived experience. Um, maybe the reality is on the ground. So like you said, uh, change was kind of foisted upon me in in my life when I had a spinal cord injury at the age of 20 and so I had the experience of maybe a before and an after um, or maybe the perspective of in society's eyes what it is to be able-bodied versus what people would consider to be disabled and and at that to be significantly uh physically impaired like i i broke my neck and the implications of that are on the surface paralysis 
Um, so I have about 15% muscle function, my shoulders, my biceps and my wrists. I have no finger function or movement below my armpits. But there's a host of other things that go with the spinal cord injury. Um, it's really a multi-system thing. And so I went from this like free independent young guy that was really interested in being out and active and really engaged with the outdoors that was studying to be a health professional and then literally an event that happens in an instant leaves me in intensive care ventilator dependent no movement in my body for weeks and months and then uh, going on the journey of sort of rediscovering how to navigate the world and so um foisted upon me or (laughs) is certainly something um that that was the truth in my story and I think my journey from that place has been at times quite reluctant um and then been pushed out of my comfort zone and kind of shown the importance of sharing what I was learning along the way and you said there's kind of a before Jack and, a, and an after Jack. So you probably had many of the same biases or, or misconceptions that the rest of us had. So what do you remember in the aftermath of the accident was the hardest thing to try and get your, your, your head around the biggest changes that you were going to have to face? It's a really good question. Um I will often say the phrase perspective shapes reality. Um, You know, the perspective that we take in our lives shapes the experience that we have in the world. And um, quite often until you're put in a scenario where you're forced to see something or be exposed to something, um, that's just not in your world. And, And so, look, Growing up, I had, uh, uh, there was one of my classmates in primary school that was a wheelchair user that was part of us in the playground. Then in secondary school, we would often have um, people in every week, in fact, into school and the fourth years in school would um, do activities and so on with people with uh, intellectual and different uh, physical uh challenges in different ways and so differences in ability were were very apparent to me and a part of my kind of upbringing in different ways but I saw it kind of on the surface level and I didn't actually see maybe some of the realities behind for these people you know I saw them out and about and engaging with the world and that was kind of the extent to which I saw it. I didn't see the challenges actually that were very real in their own lives. And so for me, probably the biggest challenge to come to terms with was, first of all, is this idea that like, I was a 20 year old guy and you'll remember from that period of your life, you really think that you're invincible. Um, And like you're at a stage where you're, you're, just spreading your wings and exploring the world in all sorts of different ways and exploring who you are and new freedoms and all of these pursuing new interests uh, things that maybe you didn't have the opportunity to do 
up until your young adult life. And it felt like in an instant that independence and sense of freedom was just ripped out from under me, almost like a carpet being pulled from under you. And quite literally, like you end up on the flat of your back. Um, that was the first big piece. The second in, in my case where I had this spinal injury and all of a sudden I had this tension between being having to very quickly realize that in my current circumstance I am very dependent on other people. Like I was literally like a baby again and I physically was very dependent on other people to from everything to help me go to the toilet to um to get dressed to get around the place um like the first person i would see in the morning was someone else coming to assist me get ready for the day and it just enters your most intimate spaces um and that was that was very challenging to know that I needed it, but to deal with this idea that I didn't want that. And that was a gradual coming to terms with process um, of actually realizing, okay, well, these people are actually enabling me. um, If I look at it that way. And um, that was, that was a helpful shift for me. Um, but other challenges that kind of came, I suppose that tension that existed was part of the driver for me to rediscover ways that I could be as independent in the smallest and biggest ways possible. Like nobody expected me to be able to travel internationally or or drive independently or or any variety of different things that that I've gone to do because it it just forced me to think very far outside of the box and to figure out how things could be possible for me. Um, but possibly the the biggest piece for me was the body image. Um, like I was a fit young guy that took pride in keeping myself fit and healthy. I'd played a lot of rugby growing up. I did a lot of running and I was very into water sports and that was something that was very present in my life was like taking care of my body. Um, that was taking care of my mental and emotional health by taking care of my body. And all of a sudden you have those moments where you catch yourself in the mirror or in a reflection in a window as you're going through hospital and rehab and the time afterwards. And it's very confronting that your body has changed and sort of going on that journey of learning to appreciate it again and to see it for the things that it can do and maybe not some of the the challenges that you're now facing physically. And so there's a host of things that happen when a change like that comes into your life and 
you go through the rehabbing process and to give context I could probably brush my teeth and feed myself when I was set up to do it by the time I left rehab and maybe push myself in a wheelchair along a very smooth surface but you get out into the world and there's hills where you didn't know there was hills before there's cambers on all the footpaths that send you flying towards the road you know uh there's the most basic thing that you never had to think about step going up a step into a restaurant or um getting into the bathroom and these kinds of things they become very real challenges that are part of your life um the fact that maybe just to get somewhere you have to plan it 24 hours in advance because you can't just hop into the car in the same way or throw your leg over a bike and and away you go and so the way that you start to navigate your life um is is very different and you realize all of a sudden wow this is something that is a part of many people's world and people that have maybe had mobility challenges um since they were a child or uh, others that have had for example in my case a spinal injury and now get around the world be it on crutches or on wheels or whatever it is then when you start to span it out you say god at some stage of our lives all of us find ourselves in that scenario you know whether it's breaking an ankle and ending up on crutches or an elderly person that maybe has a stroke or isn't able to mobilize on their own two feet anymore and it goes from being like this period where in a very personal way your world has been shattered and challenged and changed to starting to see oh wow this is something that isn't just about me that it's true for others as well so I've given you a lot there, Claire, but um, there's some of the things that kind of came up for me. And understandably, there are a whole host of challenges that come with a trauma, not only the physical challenges that you're talking about, but the psychological challenge of, of getting used to this new way of living. But what about other people's reactions to you because I'd imagine I mean we don't have to put the challenges in a hierarchy or anything but I'd imagine that that would be quite up there for me nobody wants people to look at them with pity you just Mm. I'm sure you still want to just be Jack I mean you still were Jack funny smart intelligent up for the crack and now people are looking at you with that head to the side and that and that smile yeah does he take milk in his tea sort of a thing (laughs) and like they're they're very real things that happen you know you you go out on a date and uh the waitress turns to this person that you're having the first date with and and says like what will he have um you know um I had a hilarious one um, actually when we're speaking of dates uh, where I actually got locked in the accessible bathroom because it had uh, a lock that was like at shoulder height that I couldn't reach 
um and uh it had like a triple locking system that i couldn't get out of so i was on like my second or third date with this girl and i ended up having from the bathroom to call the bar and say there's a girl sitting at such and such a table i'm actually locked in the bathroom can you tell her i haven't actually pulled a legger on her <laughs> um so there's oh my god funny, she probably thought you were pulling thing. a fast one you could have texted her meet me in the toilet she's like what so <laughs> <laughs> day three what are you talking about <laughs> so funny but um no i i remember being like really aware when i went back to college about a year after having the injury and i remember just having this huge sense of actually how other people perceive me i have a huge sense of uh, responsibility within that um that maybe more of it is up to me than than otherwise might be thought and so i started to take on the role of normalizing things because there's a huge amount of fear around someone with any kind of a difference you know like i was speaking with a, a group of hr professionals the other day and I was talking about this idea that like when we talk about anything in diversity, inclusion, uh, equality, equity, any of these spaces, so much of the challenge is actually not with some of the realities. It's with our our fear around having the conversation and getting it wrong. Um, this idea that we might have that we have to get it right. And so we get, get afraid to ask the question. Um, and so I realized that actually coming back into college, that for my college class, for the people I would interact with um, around the city, for all of these kinds of things, I, I had a role to play. Uh, I couldn't expect people to understand how to interact with me and what was helpful and what wasn't. And so I'd be quite vocal in kind of normalizing things for people to dispel that fear. And I'd be the first person to speak. And I'd say, actually, could you hold the door for me rather than <laughs> coming away afterwards and saying, Jesus, like that person was just like really ignorant. Can you not see that I'm struggling with the handle on this door and it's heavy and my chair moves when I tried to push away the door? And, you know, and I so I just went out of my own way to to be the first one to move i suppose in conversations and and things like that and by doing that i dispelled a lot of fear and and yes it would be great if everyone was aware and had the answers and knew how to when to ask for help and when not to but actually it's kind of unfair for me to always expect that and so um i think what people ultimately want to know for example, when I go into a restaurant or uh, or I'm in a new college class or whatever, is that he's actually a normal guy, that he's okay, and yes, he gets around the world on two wheels, and uh, he might need a hand um, getting the laptop out of his rucksack or whatever, but hey, once all that is out in the open, it's actually grand. It's not that big of a deal. Um, and then we get on with being human beings. And as you said, having the crack and, um, it's funny because like 
I go on my first night out back in college, I remember, and all my classmates and friends had forgotten that, oh, Jack gets around on wheels now because it had just become so normalized for them that it's still Jack, you know, in so many ways, shapes and forms. And so the night that we had, the night out that we'd booked was in this bar and I got there and I was like, lads, are you having me on? Like there's 15 steps down to that place. And all of a sudden I'm up in the air and we're strolling down um, these steps. And yes, wouldn't it be great if there was a lift? But do you know what? There's a certain extent to which when people understand how to help, they're so willing to help. And and we can normalize a lot of things by just having these kind of com- conversations. Um, and it's interesting, the shift that you made in your own perspective and that decision that you made, that this was how you were going to face all of this. And then that kind of rippled out to the people around you. But when did you decide that you were going to be public in a way with your message, with your TED talk and your first big trip abroad with your friends that became a documentary, Breaking Boundaries? How did both of those come about and what was the decision-making process for you in deciding to share your life and your story in that way? Yeah, so I initially said that maybe I was a little bit reluctant in the early stages and uh, that was particularly with the TED Talk. You know, that was a time when when TED was becoming this, this like, pretty big thing. And um, uh, I remember someone saying to me we would like you like we've heard you speak and we would like you to apply for TED and I was going through a really challenging time at the time and I was grieving a lot and feeling the upset of what had happened and and I was in a pretty low ebb actually and um I said no and they came back to me again and and I said no again and eventually someone turned up at my door at home and they said this isn't just about you I know that you're in a really hard place right now but maybe some of the perspectives that you have and the experience that you've been through and are going through can be valuable for someone else and that person didn't leave my house until I recorded the application and that might seem um maybe like they were overstepping the line but they knew me and they knew that uh they could challenge me in that way and I nearly didn't even do it on the day but then I did and when I stepped out of my comfort zone like that and actually sent home this message that yeah although I was massively struggling that I was seeing possibility and I was seeing um the way things could be and I was striving for that simultaneously that started to really open things up for me and so we did the TED talk fearless like a child which was really uh (laughs) my war cry in the early days of yes I'm going through this really challenging period but but hey I still have this spirit in me that's pulling me through and I don't think it's just me I think we all have this other self that kind of gets ignited when we take on a big challenge or are faced with a big challenge and and that was all about like the response and 
the next phase of it started to come from actually frustration on my part. I was back in college and I was seeing some of my friends traveling and doing their J1s and during rehab I'd been told a lot of things that I would never do again and I was kind of systematically challenging all of them and it was around that time that I remembered a chat and a promise that I'd made to one of my best friends Dave at the end of our first year in college and it was one of these things you know on the last night of college we were sitting down in the apartment we were renting and we just said and it's been a very special year as the first year in college but like let's not let this be the end And so we decided that before the end of college, we would go traveling and that it would be a story we could tell our grandkids. Then fast forward, I have the accident at the end of that summer and I'm back in college about a year and a bit later and everyone is traveling and I'm getting really frustrated watching this. And we remembered that promise that we made to each other and we just looked at each other and said, feck it like let's just do it and we didn't have any idea about how we were going to do it but and we said feck it let's do it and um so we were starting to put the initial wheels in motion so to speak um as to how we'd go about that and i was delivering a talk one day for a company and someone said god or, or someone said, uh, have you got any plans uh, for the next couple of months? And I talked about this ambition to travel the West Coast of the States. And the guy that was filming the talk came up afterwards and said, I make documentaries. I think that would be an incredible thing to document. And he planted this seed. And I went home at the end of that weekend and made this video for GoFundMe. And basically said we're going to do this trip regardless but we think it would be amazing to bring you along for the ride and the aim of this trip for us is to show that limitations are only perceived that so many of the limitations we set on ourselves are actually within our own minds and with the right people and the right approach we think we can demonstrate that we're all capable of maybe a little bit more than we might give ourselves credit for. And all of a sudden, I posted it, not expecting much. And all of a sudden, money started to come in. And we had this moment where we were like, oh, shit. Like, (laughs) now we actually have to go and do this. Now we have to figure out, like, how to make a documentary. And uh, we had offers from... uh, RTE and we had offers from different places to come and film the whole thing and they wanted to schedule our trip and plan the shots and all of this and we just said no way that's not what this is about this needs to be a fly in the wall this needs to be the essence of this is us going as college students and having a brilliant experience as a group of friends and what comes out of that will be the story and that's what we ended up doing we raised some private funding to make it in the end we edited and produced the whole thing ourselves and tv3 gave us um gave us the airtime and a little bit of support with an executive producer and we ended up airing it and about a hundred thousand people watched it the night that it aired and um 
I think it kind of redefined for people their perception of what ability and disability is and the way that we frame it. It maybe reframed for people uh, the expectations that they have of like you don't need to wrap this person in bubble wrap because they get around on wheels actually you're inhibiting so much of their potential and spirit by doing that and by me jumping out of a plane skydiving or whitewater rafting or them seeing me like absolutely break down when I talked about the pressures that I felt to get back to a sense of normalcy after what was such a life-changing injury like it was just very human and and it was a group of friends going together on this journey where all of us were going through different things at that time and yet sharing this trip together and um, I think probably the best parts of it didn't end up in the documentary because uh, we might have gotten in a bit of uh, a hot spot if if they did. But um, that's the essence of where that documentary came from. And and it was called Breaking Boundaries and it's still available. Um, and it was, as we said, it was at the end of that documentary, it was the end of one chapter and the beginning of something very new. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I love the documentary. I urge people to check it out and your your TED talk. What was the reaction like then once something goes out there? What kind of messages were you getting back and and how did that shape you as a person and and your kind of next moves? Yeah, you know, it was a really strange thing for me because the response was was pretty overwhelming. You know, the response to the TED talk was very humbling. Um, and then we just, it was such an excitement because I could spend an hour talking to you about all the reasons that the documentary nearly didn't happen. And then we would revive it and we'd revive it and we'd revive it. And actually the whole thing happened in three weeks towards <laughs> in the lead up or at the beginning of the summer that it ended up airing and the excitement for us was having we created this thing you know we we did this and then 
the response was just huge. Like we couldn't really get over how much it impacted and continues to have an impact. And um, that's very humbling for us in that uh, we were literally a group of college students that were still in college at the time when we did this. And so it was very surreal because I was trying to get through my professional exams uh, to qualify as a pharmacist and to finish that journey out. And yet the documentary opened up so many other what seemed like very shiny things at the time and uh it was fantastic in in that it brought me personally and the the others in different ways down lots of different avenues that otherwise i would never have been exposed to but in another way it was a very challenging period because i felt pulled in so many directions like the reality was is that actually I still had to show up and do my exams and get through all of that and and yet people are seeing you on this bigger stage and uh, I found that very conflicting actually um, and people have heightened expectations of you now they see you on tv like you've made it and and nothing could be further from the truth like I was still um a 20 something uh, an early 20 something figuring it out as I went along and and just trying to share people uh what I was what I was going through and I think it was the vulnerability with which I was doing that that most connected to people um that actually the truth of that started to get displayed um the big problem for me actually in doing something that landed in such a big way is that I put a lot of pressure on myself as to what needed to happen next and maybe some of the expectations of what other people had became bigger in my head than actually what do I want um you know you do something like that and it would be really nice actually to say yeah and all of these are possibilities that are true for everyone but sometimes it's actually just nice to go and have have a little bit of quiet time and and get on with your life and not have to have this huge grand um sort of expectation and so um it's that thing of uh we almost became uh victims in a very small way of of how well it went down you know um but for me the beautiful thing about it now is that like schools are still using it um when they talk about like ability and disability and about like resilience and that messy uncomfortable awful experience that we all go through in challenging times and then we can look back and say that was a period where i was very resilient and they use it to highlight things around access and perceptions and and all of this and and so it's lovely for me that that's still happening and so the things that we do they they take shape that we just don't know uh, until it's out in the world and i suppose the message that you were having was you know don't be held back it's all about your perspective 
I, you know, I have challenges, but I'm still just Jack. And yet anytime people are talking to you and I'm conscious I'm doing the same as well, they just want to talk about life in a wheelchair and those challenges. And, you know, it's almost jarring with the message that you're looking to put out there. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, is that these, like in my case, a spinal injury happened um, in my life and it could be anybody, you know, I know Claire that you had a day recently where you spend a day in a wheelchair to experience what that's like um, as you try to navigate the world and you see some of the very real challenges that you encounter in your day to day. Well, the people that experience that are just trying to get on with their life as well. You know, they're out earning a living. They are um, the people that are presenting on uh, on the radio. They're people that are working as health professionals in in the hospitals and the pharmacies. They're the business owners um, running successful businesses. They're the students that are uh, struggling to manage social life and workload and and trying to show up and figure out what it is that they want to do with themselves like these are a very real cohort of society that yeah they navigate the world in a slightly different way but um they're just ordinary people and they want to engage in in the same things that everybody else does and and sometimes the way that society is set up physically legally culturally um makes that challenging and i'm here to say and to start a conversation to say well why is that and awareness always precedes change in anything and so if we can raise a little bit of awareness around hey you know what actually i appreciate that you as a a bar owner like that the building is an old building but would it kill you to um have a ramp that you can pull out so that the person in the electric wheelchair can can come in and be a part of uh the night out just as much as anybody else or do you know the way that your staff engage with this person that comes in with a sight impairment um actually their money is is just as valid here as anybody else's and you know this is where the conversation starts to spill and when you make the business case for it when you realize that actually about uh depending on the statistics you look at between uh 17 and 20 percent of the world's population either have uh, a permanent or temporary uh difference in ability at any given time and that we're aging uh, populations that are getting better at at like dealing with these kind of scenarios, so that more people that have strokes or spinal injuries or or different neurological conditions or any number of other reasons that they might have a difference in ability, uh, either acquired or uh, through genetics or whatever, that actually that that forms about a fifth of the world population. And that that element of society, their money is just as valid in in terms of interacting with your business or your service or society or whatever else that you 
one to look at and they have about eight trillion worth of disposable income that money is just as valid as as anybody else's and they deserve to have a place and a stage and a way of interacting with services and society and um, they deserve to have role models in the places um, that they can point to and say, I want to be a politician, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a radio presenter, I want to have my own podcast, I want to be uh, the person that that you meet at the counter when you go into the coffee shop. You know, all of this can only happen when we have a little bit of awareness first and as I said awareness precedes change and maybe that's a little bit of what we're trying to do here. Well my mind was blown by that experience that was spending a day in a, in a wheelchair with some others for Spinal Injuries Ireland and because it's Spinal Injuries Ireland it was very much this could happen to anyone at any time. Anybody who was there, who was on the board, who was from there, had been walking one day and not the next. So what really opened my eyes was not just the constant need for help that I needed just to get from A to B. And I I did the same day as I would normally do. I couldn't go to my same place for lunch. I couldn't get up on the curb. I couldn't do so many things. And I had to have about eight people help me just going, you know, 100 yards down the road. and, And I just don't think that that's how most people want to live their lives. It's lovely that all that positivity is out there. And I met some absolute gems. People are gorgeous. But, you know, you just want to grab a coffee and pop around town and, you know, get on with your life. But I think what it opened my eyes to is that we can all be activists, that we all need to be asking those questions. It shouldn't have to wait until you are in a wheelchair or it shouldn't just be the person with the diverse ability asking for those changes. We should all be asking for that so that we're all part of an inclusive society. So that was certainly one of my eye openers. I'm like, it's it's up to me to be wanting to live in a society like that and, you know, in a town like that, rather than it's just up to Jack to raise awareness and, and, and we, you know, maybe throw a bit of money towards a campaign. Absolutely. And, you know, so much of it is just down to uh, the perspective and approach that people take, you know, to say that, hey, we're welcoming of everybody here. And like human nature is is to be helpful i think you know um the place where this starts to really show up for people quite often is when they have an experience of a loved one that maybe has a stroke and now they need to navigate their local community in an entirely different way and they start to see oh hey uh i didn't realize how much of a challenge this was for for others before or or someone in in your family has, in my case, a spinal cord injury, and so all of a sudden the friends and the friends of the friends start to begin to get an appreciation of this um, through meeting in different environments and 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 so on. All I'm asking for is people to have a little bit of perspective when uh, they think about the spaces that they create, uh, the services that they create. How can you design for maybe the people that are a little bit more on the edges, the tallest, the smallest, those that have full sight, those that have sight impairments, those that that are, are completely visually impaired, 
people that get around the world on their own two feet or on crutches or with the Zuma frame or maybe you're on on wheels when you design with some of those edges in mind actually you design for everybody else in the middle and you make the world more inclusive place uh, a more accessible place for everybody um if i can reach the counter so can the kid um if if i can get in and operate the the cash register or sorry the the atm machine um so can the little old lady that's stooped over and on her zuma frame you know these are the kinds of things that we need to think about um and it's simple design and thoughtfulness in the way that we we create spaces and places um in the way that we uh, think about legislation and uh, and so on but also it's just a far more human way of operating well i'm so glad you turned your experience into a platform i think you've got the most incredible perspective and mind you speak so beautifully i could always listen to you all day but i will let you go Keep doing what you're doing. Jack Kavanagh, thank you so much for coming on. A real privilege. Thanks, Claire. Thank you for listening to Changemakers. If you enjoyed the podcast, I would love if you would take a moment to rate, review and subscribe. It helps other people to find the podcast too. Take care. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.